Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Danielle, and you're listening to the Spooky Hour. Wee! No more dun dun dun. You should make it the like the Halloween, but like Christmas fight. Christmas fight? That's going to take some work. I'm going to have to sit and think about that. I I feel like I need some bells, some Mm -hmm. jingle bells. Also, did you know that they make a Christmas baby shark? Yeah. (laughs) Didn't we find that out together? Yeah, we did. Okay. I just wasn't sure if you remembered because I feel like that has to happen. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I actually listened to Baby Shark the other day for like like the actual lyrics of it. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid. They're all just different sharks. And then then they want to go hunt. They want to eat. Yeah. And then it's like, swim away. And I'm like, this is really what we were so obsessed with. Like, I think we got to like the beginning of it, like baby shark. And we were like, ha ha ha. It's so funny. And then hammered. And then that was it. That's as far as we got. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just laughing so hard. I played the Christmas one for my sister and she fucking cried. Did she actually? Yeah. Is she okay? so cute. No, she's not. She's very unstable. I was going to (laughs) say. uh hi friends in hey. case you haven't noticed we're like fully christmas mode over here apparently we are always christmas mode i've been in christmas yeah, well danielle is always christmas mode. <laughs> uh we hope uh our american friends enjoyed their turkey and all of that jazz oh uh, thanksgiving happy it was day, guys so that means it's officially i mean it was officially christmas whenever danielle said it was christmas but now like the rest of the world says it's christmas also britney spears put her like christmas tree up in september (laughs) so like fight me because the queen put it up so if britney did it i can do it exactly (laughs) i love that um we're just gonna get right into it today because we've just sat and shot the shit for like two hours at this point we honestly have and i drank like a full thing of wine which i'm not used to and guys i have like a four month old and this is gonna be a real fun night she she was gonna bathe him after this and then i was like okay we should record so you could bathe him she's like oh that's not happening i'm too drunk yeah, I was, before i came back up because my dog's having some issues so before i came back upstairs to like start recording i told Stuart, i'm like it's a boy's night and he's like yeah it is because like what the fuck you know? <laughs> That's so fucking funny. So, I have my water here in a Christmas we're, Christmas glass. <laughs> we're rehydrating. Yeah, so it's going great. Um, I need to find a night where I can drink with you because usually I drive right after we record and uh, I can't do that. So yeah, and then you can. Oh my god, we can like set up. We can put a. Oh my god, I'll make my bed fort in the basement. Oh my god, we'll record it there and, and then we, we'll you have can a stay over. Yeah, and then I'll roll river over every time he flops onto yeah. his stomach. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I got a baby roller on my hands right now, so. I was trying to Google it so I could try to be helpful, but literally the only advice is just, like, roll him back over. Yeah. And the thing is, is, like, if he can roll that way, then you're fine. I'm like, yes, he can. Okay, so he started rolling back to tummy, but he can't roll tummy to back, so it's a fucking nightmare, guys. (laughs) If you could go one way, you think you could go the other way, but here we are. Nope, no, nope. not yet. Someone suggested. So hasn't slept. <laughs> no, someone suggested a like a weighted sleep sack, so it's like weighted in the front. So I mm-hmm. paid like fifty bucks for it, and it Woo! doesn't fucking work. So, yay! He just rolls yay! over. He's like, fuck it, I don't care. Uh, he says, "Fuck your sleeping rules." Literally, but he's a he's a gem, and I love him. So I he's would, very cute. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine, guys. If he didn't turn out cute, then, like, it'd be different. But no kidding. <laughs> yeah, he turned out like me, so it's okay. <laughs> Literally, he does look a lot more like you now. Yeah, I know. It's great. Um, But should... I'm going first, right? Yeah, you okay. are. <laughs> okay. Let's get spooky. Let's get spooky. We're going to talk about the House of Death, because it's just so inviting. 
That is so dark. I, I love know. it. It's For reference, cold. I literally just took a sip of water when she said that and I choked on it because I was, yeah, so was not expecting it. It sounds very goth and yeah. like I'm ready for it. It's like that LA home. I think it's in LA and it's all just like black and it's beside like the color house. Oh, the colorful home. Yeah. yeah. Apparently there used to be a third house in that series, but then they sold it and the people made the house boring again. Oh God. They were... Fuck those people. Yeah, I was going to say that's annoying. They're probably like 70 year old white kids. White yeah, kids. white kids. Seventy, seventy-year-old white kids. This is why Danielle stopped drinking. <laughs> Not because I was pregnant, because I'm a moron. <laughs> I fucking can't with you. Okay, okay. Uh, so this house is located on 14th West. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> I need therapy. I thought I was going to be the bad one this week because I'm so exhausted, but... <laughs> this is just so funny. Okay. Uh. I'm going to call my mom. Mom, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this house is located on 14 West 10th Street in Green Village or Green Witch Village in New York. So it pretty much looks like any New York like townhome that you picture, like the red bricks and like the four yeah. or five stories tall. The home itself... The tall skinny ones. Yeah. Like the really, really nice ones. So the home itself was built in 1856. So at first it was home to the wife of the founder of the Metropolitan Underground Rail- Railroad and then the Broadway Underground Railroad. So this dude's name was Mr. James Borman Johnson. Your name is very boring. So <laughs> fitting. There's also like four of them. That's excessive. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, after his death, his wife and like widow moved her herself and her kids into the house of death in 1880s so it wasn't called that that but i don't know what else to call it besides the house of death so that's that's where they moved (laughs) just keep saying it it's awesome yeah so it was then sold to fred h andrews so like that makes me think of the guy from riverdale like the dad from Riverdale. oh my god you're so funny i haven't watched that show in forever Uh, i stopped watching it progressively getting worse oh it's so stupid no i'm sorry the first couple seasons (laughs) were like great and then just got real dumb dude the second uh what was it like the goblins or the gremlins or something oh my god the gargoyles gargoyle yeah was it that yeah. yeah i was like i'm over it yeah i can't do it um so while he lived there he was in a um he was cycling down uh the street up from like the home and he ended up hitting an eight-year-old breaking the kid's leg apparently fred was arrested and charged but released after like the first day so that was kind of like the weird thing that happened to somebody that was living in this home he was kind of like charged and like arrested yeah. for like running down a child on his bicycle <laughs> granola didn't munchers. Even know that was a charge but uh <laughs> <laughs> granola <Apparently>. munchers. <laughs> um so in the 1900s it was <laughs> oh my god so oh no i wrote it was supposed to say it was then home too but i wrote it was then ho (laughs) too (laughs) oh Uh, god samuel clemens who is better known as mark twain so he lived oh shit yeah that's funny right so he lived in this home for about a year at the time he was going um through like bankruptcy and was writing as much as he could to try to get some money uh apparently mark twain wouldn't um be our friend like at, at all because he was a skeptic so not friends, Mark. Not friends. He didn't believe in the paranormal. He did not. We know. Uh, right? So he did write um, that in, like, this death home that a large piece of wood, like, the kindling, uh, moved in the air by itself. And then what any normal American would do, he got his gun and shot at it. <laughs> 
for fuck's sakes. I'm sorry. Um, appara- he, he shot the wood. He shot he the wood. He shot a fucking piece of wood. Floating wood. Yeah. He told that wood. He told me. Right. So apparently the wood <laughs> fell to the ground and a few drops of blood, but that was it. Like, he said it was a rat, which is like, I, like, I, I believe it here in New York and there's more rats than there yeah. are people. Um, but there was like never a body of a rat found, so there's just like random blood, and I don't believe oh, that's those creepy. Bleed, but like it's creepy, right? Yeah, that's really creepy. Yeah. So Mark stated that um, again, it was a rat, but who knows? Uh, to this day, his spirit is said to haunt the halls of this home. He's been seen in the stairwell and just like walks up and down. Like imagine being stuck in a ghost loop where you have to walk up and down the up stairs. Up and down stairs? That's exhausting. Like, working out after death? That's fucking That's going to be my hell, yeah. That's literal <laughs> hell. Um, so by the 1930s, a lot of homes in the area were being converted into apartments, and the house of death was no exception. It had been changed into 10 apartments, but they were, Holy like, more fuck. like condos. They, so they were, like, still, like, really sophisticated and nice. Yeah. Um, in 1937, a mother and her daughter were staying in the apartment, like, in one of the apartments, and apparently they, and I quote, bumped into Mark Twain's ghost. He was just <laughs> sitting on the window ledge, like, just chilling. Just chilling. Yeah. He then uh, spoke to them saying, and I quote, my name is Clemens, and I has a problem. I gotta settle. Imagine, I has. Yeah, I'm being dead serious. Imagine being this a famous fucking writer and being like, I has. Remember, I has cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I has a problem. <laughs> um, so after saying this, his spirit disappeared. So no one understands why he is seen at this place. Um, like he didn't die there, right? No, he didn't. He actually died in Connecticut. Um, so not in New York. But I guess something that's in this apartment or like the home what it once was is like holding his spirit there yeah. or something maybe he's like one of those spirits that can like jump from like place to place <laughs> a traveling spirit if yeah. you will he has many places to go okay many um so in 1957 jan bryant bartell and her husband moved there wow i'm a fucking idiot I, okay i was writing this so sober i was like in 1957 jan moved there and then it was like and they moved there in 1957 so <laughs> i do shit like that a all the time <laughs> a plus plus um so she was a writer a poet and an actress and apparently um an apparent like psychic so they moved into the top floor apartment immediately jan started to um, see and hear things and said that and i quote a monstrous moving shadow would follow her around the apartment she also yeah. wrote that she saw an apparition of a man standing in the hallway. Uh, apparently, food in the home would go bad within, like, a day or so. Like, full-on mo- like That's mold That's so rot, annoying. Right? Like, like imagine pain. Like, buying, like, apples and, like, putting them out and, like, the next day, like, instant rot. I'd be, I'd be so mad. It's be- it happened to me with a pomegranate. And if you guys know how, like, expensive pomegranates are, <laughs> you'll know my pain because I was real mad. It's like every item in the home turns into an avocado, essentially. Literally. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so their animals would also randomly become aggressive and bark at nothing. So Jan invited a par- paranormal investigator to, like, investigate the home. And this person said the home itself, like, including all the apartments together, had 22 spirits. So one wow. of those was Mark Twain. Another is a woman in a white dress. There's also a little girl and a gray cat so yeah so as jan um was a writer she wrote um a book called spindrift spray wow spray from a psychic sea uh this book is essentially her experiences in the home so jan died pretty much right after this manuscript was completed and published 
Uh, her oh, death, was, yeah, her death was noted pretty mysterious, but all that is reported that it was basically like a suicide. Um, Jan didn't die in the home. Her and her husband fell on hard times when they were living there and ended up moving from um, the home in 1973. So they jumped from place to place before living in New Ro- um, New Rochester. Um, and then Jan died on June 18th, 1973. So, so far, this place to me is like pretty tame. However, it did. It get... does seem to have like bad juju vibes, though. Very, very. It's like everything that's like there it makes like the person like like apparently Jan she previously had um, multiple suicide attempts, including when she was living there. Oh, uh... and she was also like in a very depressed state. Yeah, and she's like the first person to be noted having that who knows because like even when mark twain was living there he was like in a mental state because he was going through bankruptcy and everything like yeah that. so it's like kind of like so it's like they kind of already came into it in that mindset yeah exactly so everything yeah. there is like very everyone that's been living there is already very negative so like they all yeah bring in all the j- bad juju vibes <laughs> <laughs> so as i said so so far this place is pretty tame again not too bad so far, but then it got real fucked up in 1987. So I'm kind of pulling like a holly string here. So the house is really haunted, but there you was... pull a- all my strings, baby. <laughs> you, I'll, I'll do that for you. <laughs> Especially with all the wine I drank. We're good. <laughs> um, so I'm going to talk about a murder that happened there. Um, so Joel Steinberg and his common-law wife, uh, Hedda, I pretty sure i'm pronouncing that wrong i apologize i didn't look it up i'm terrible (laughs) yeah was living in the apartment in greenwich so they had been together for just over a decade joel was a criminal defense attorney and hedda was a children's book editor so these two yeah that's kind of a cool job yeah pretty cool so these two apparently illegally adopted two children lisa illegally illegally oh god yeah apparently it was like i'm not i didn't look too much into it but from my understanding it was like through because he was a criminal defense attorney so it was like something through his the place he worked at these kids were getting put through adoption and he took them in but then never like legally filed papers to adopt them so like they were they nice to the kids were they good good to the kids i'll get into that oh god yeah this one's it's pretty brutal i'm sorry um (laughs) so lisa was six years old and mitchell who was 16 months old um but again like it's just weird because he's like a lawyer so you'd think he'd like follow the fucking law but here we are so (laughs) what the legal system is corrupt yeah no (laughs) this is gonna piss you off really bad and oh god I'll, I'll just get into it. So on November 2nd, 1987 at 6 a.m., um, 911 received a phone call from um, Hedda. Uh, she stated that her daughter, Lisa, wasn't breathing. Uh, the call states that Lisa had choked on her food and vomited. So an ambulance rushed to 14 West 10th Street. Um, when they arrived, they were walking into a very fucked up scene. So again, trigger warning, it's about to get really brutal and really sad. Um, they found six-year-old Lisa laying naked and unresponsive on the kitchen floor. Her brother, Mitchell, who again was 16 months old, was tied to his playpen and soaked in his own urine and feces. What the fuck? Yeah. So the woman was also covered in bruises and also had a few broken bones. Marijuana, cocaine, hash, crack pipes, and 25K in cash were found in the apartment. Um, wow. Yeah. Apparently, the apartment was absolutely fucking disgusting. Like, I'm. It was either one of the bathrooms or the kitchen. Like, the sink was ripped out. It was. It was just fucked. So Lisa was rushed into the hospital, but was declared brain dead and died on November fourth. So two days after, 
Lisa's autopsy showed that she died from repeated blunt force trauma to the head. Mitchell, the little boy, he survived. So both Hedda and Joel were arrested and charged with child abuse. So the same day the 911 call was made, but once Lisa passed away, um, the, cha- the charge was changed to manslaughter. Um, mm-hmm. So Hedda ended up testifying against Joel, and um, cops basically ended up saying she was abused for so long that she was incompetent to help Lisa. So she stated on November 1st, Joel was going to dinner and Lisa wanted to go with him, but he yelled at her and ended up hitting her with a rubber headed hammer. Oh my God. Yeah. So Joel then left. Lisa was unconscious. And instead of her calling, instead of Hedda calling the fucking cops, she sat in the apartment waiting for Joel to come back because she thought Joel would handle it. And then when he got home, the dumb fuck obviously didn't call. And instead, these two decided to sit down and do some lines of cocaine. This is all from oh her. God. This is this is her statement. Um, the next day is when she finally decided to call 911 and lied about what happened, saying that Lisa choked and continued so her lies. The the kid was on the ground like overnight. Oh, she was there. She died. She was hit November 1st and she they called November 2nd. God. So she, it was more than 24 hours when That's brutal. Yeah. So um Hedda was or Hiata, I don't know, was sent to a psychiatric hospital and Joel was charged with second degree and first degree manslaughter. Um, so she wasn't prosecuted for Lisa's death because she agreed to testify against Joel. Um, she, like, over time, apparently suffered nine broken ribs, a broken nose, and her jaw was broken at the hands of Joel. Wow. Yeah, and then Joel was convicted of first degree manslaughter and sentenced to 25 years justice system let me tell you <laughs> joel was paroled on june 30th 2004 yeah this sack of rat shit is currently living in harlem new york city and is around 84 ish years old he's still alive unfortunately wow. yeah so mitchell the 16 year old was actually returned to his birth mom in 1987 um because she was her, his birth mom was like 17 years old when she gave birth and she was under the impression that he went to a safe home so when this happened she had the right to take him back so she did well yeah also it wasn't like illegal adoption right there was no papers exactly um so apparently he now goes um by the name travis i'm not going to include the last name um i do know it but i don't want to um so he went through school and became like a straight a student he's around like 35 40 years old now i believe um there is some story to what he's doing now but i'm not going to include it you can look it up if you want but i don't i just hope he's doing okay exactly apparently he's doing great um there's not much else to say behind his like beyond his teenager years but from what i found and in my research he seems like he's doing very well i'm not that's about as far as i gotta go because i want to respect his privacy yeah um but for her i understand the thing that goes through my mind is like I understand the abuse that happened, but to sit there and have him come back and be like, let's just do cocaine. That's what bothers me. That's the part that bothers me. And it's so hard because of the trauma she was put through, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to come up with, like, an eloquent response because, like, trauma and abuse does, uh, like, cloud your judgment. Yeah, it it completely affects the mind. There's cases where it shows, like, literal like brain damage where there's black spots in your yep. brain and stuff from exactly. from the abuse but like <sighs> and the fact that this it comes down to did she know right and wrong in that moment exactly and like it, it's kind of hard to be like 
Well, like, there's evidence of her being abused. I'm not arguing that. It's just, yeah. It's just really hard to be, like, this six-year-old literally died in front of your eyes and you'd rather do drugs. That's... Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to say that she didn't know that was wrong. Especially when he wasn't there. He left. He, yeah. He killed her and then left to go party God. with some friends. It's one of those cases lawyer. where, like, no one really wins. Exactly. You know? It's hard. It's very yeah. And the fact that he's out now makes me even more mad. That's, we all know that's wrong. That one's that's definitely, fucked. yeah, that's fucked up. Good old justice system. But that all happened in that's the so House brutal. of Death. So apparently this place is still, like, noted for Mark Twain's, um, Mark Twain's apparitions. People still see him to this day. People still live in this apartments, and they... I've noted, apparently, the little girl's spirit is there. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. Poor so, thing. Yeah. And it's it's absolutely heartbreaking to see it. And her little picture, it's just, it's so sad. Aw. Yeah. But yeah, that's the house of death. And now I'm going to go drink more wine. <laughs> yeah, shit. I need a drink. <laughs> I don't need to laugh. That was dark. Yeah. Like, it, I knew it sounded dark, but like, that's, that's dark. I, it's not going to get any later with me, unfortunately. <laughs> it never does. It never, never does. does. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, sorry, that fucked me right up. Uh, are we just going to get into my? <laughs> I think we should. Let's just do I it. Just, I don't really have anything left to say. I'm just like, that's fucked up. So today's murder is like really, really dark. And there's a small connection to one of the most notorious serial killers of all time. Um, this case had like a lot of little twisty turns in it. So I thought it was kind of fun. Oh, not fun. I hate when I do that. It's not fun. It's thrill. Th- thrilling's not even any better. You know what it is. It's, it's mentally it's exciting. Thank you. You're welcome. God. Um, so Arliss Perry was 19 when she married her high school boyfriend, Bruce Perry, and moved from North Dakota to Stanford, California. Um, I believe Bruce was the only one that attended Stanford University there, but she moved there to like be with him or whatever. Um, so the newlyweds had only been together two months when an argument broke out on the evening of October 12th, 1974. Apparently they were fighting over tire pressure, which is like the Literally most married some. couple argument yeah. I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> The way Carl yelled at me to take the nail out of my tire, and I was like, I'll do it when I have to. It's fine. <laughs> me and Stuart argue over, like, when we fold laundry, who folds it better, so. Yeah. I won't fold Carl's laundry anymore. That's all I'm going to say. No, fuck it. <laughs> um, so, anyways, the fight was pretty bad, and Arliss, who was extremely religious, went to Stanford Memorial Church, which was, like, on the grounds of the university, uh, to pray and find some solace after the argument. Bruce waited up for her, but by 3 a.m., he knew something was wrong. Bruce called the police, and they did a sweep of the area, but found that the church doors were locked, and they didn't bother entering. Um, so, I'm so- guessing praying didn't help. Praying did not help. Okay. Praying definitely didn't help. Okay. Uh, so the police wrote a, reported back to Bruce saying they had no findings and just to go to bed, essentially. Um, <laughs> Good yeah. job. A plus plus. Five, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Um, at 5.40 a.m. on October 13th, a campus security guard named Stephen Crawford, who was a former Stanford police officer, called the station to report that there was a body found inside the church. He allegedly told the operator, hey, we've got a stiff here, which is like... What? real nice um can you imagine and, finding a body and saying like how fucking disrespectful how desensitized you? you have yeah. to be yeah 
Um, and I, I at least three different articles said that. So it's, it's disgusting. It's, yeah. Um, so the security guard told police that he had locked up the church just after midnight and claimed he had rechecked the doors around 2 a.m. and found they were still locked. Uh, when Stephen Crawford refer- returned to the church at 5.40 a.m. Uh, to open for the day, he said he found the west side door open and that it had been forced open from the inside. And then he discovered Arliss's body. Um, so Arliss Perry was found dead in the church, laying face up in front of the altar. Um, there's some graphic details incoming here. Uh, her hands were folded across her chest and she was naked from the waist down. She had an ice pick going right through her head, puncturing her brain. What the fuck? That actually uh, just gave me full body chills. Like, oh my God. Uh, yeah. A lot of officers on the scene said it was like the most gruesome murder they'd ever seen. Um, and they like, they described it as like almost not believing it was real because of... Yeah, um, so that was determined to be the cause of death, but there were also signs of strangulation uh, found during the autopsies. Uh, investigators also found two of the three-foot altar candles, you know, the, the big ones that they have, you know, at the front of the church? No. Okay, they Sorry. got big candles. I knew okay. you wouldn't know. <laughs> so the candles are three feet long. Uh, one was used to sexually assault Arliss, and the other was placed... What? Yeah, I... I didn't want to go into too much graphic detail, but they found it in place still. That's how they determined that. That's fucked. Um, The other was placed under her shirt on her chest. Her jeans were placed over her legs and they were shaped into like a diamond shape. Um, At the time, investigators believe this to be some sort of satanic ritualistic killing. Uh, Investigators brought in the dean of the church, which is like, he's not a priest. He just kind of like runs the church. I tried to Google it, but I didn't quite understand it. Um, So they brought him to survey the scene. And upon seeing Arliss's body, he said, quote, well, this must be the work of the devil. Uh, investigators found semen on a kneeling p- pillow, which is, I guess, literally a p- pillow you kneel on to pray. Okay. Um, so they found that near Arliss's body. They also found a partial palm print on one of the candles. However, neither of these clues could be linked to anyone because it's 1974 and DNA analysis sucked. Um, Please tell me they, they kept like the evidence, though. Please tell me. Oh, heck yeah. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> It's a Holly case. I mean, uh, they, <laughs> they had run the DNA against both Bruce Perry and the security guard, but neither men were a match. Uh, there were a few other random people in the church during the time Arliss was there, but they were all cleared of any suspicion as well. Uh, there was like seven people at the church between midnight and 3 a.m. Apparently. I didn't know people How much like, are people like sinning. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently there was a series of murders in the area that began in 1973 and three people had been murdered and linked to a serial killer named John Gatreau. He's not the one I was talking about at the beginning. He's another one. Okay. Um, so investigators looked into this connection as well, but there was really nothing there. Uh, and just like that, the case went cold. There was no real leads to follow, no suspects, no science, nothing. Um, until a package arrived at Deputy Sheriff Lieutenant Terry Gardner's office in uh, Ward County, North Dakota, where Arliss was from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not the Stanford police where the murder took place, but where she was from. In the package, uh, th- there was a photo of people taking part in a satanic ritual and a book called The Anatomy of Witchcraft. While flipping through the pages of the book, he found writing scribbled along the margins of the pages. These messages read, quote, Arliss Perry, hunted, stalked, and slain, followed to California, Stanford University. The package was sent by none other than the son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Fuck off. Yeah. So, 
I'm not going to go too far into the Son of Sam because you guys should know that by now. But a quick summary on this whole new satanic angle just to loop this all together. So after his arrest in 1977, David Berkowitz told the police that he had been instructed to kill uh, by his neighbor Sam Carr's dog. The dog's name was Harvey. I do not believe Harvey was a killer. Um, (laughs) So this was obviously not true. And an investigative journalist named Maury Terry wanted to dig into the Carr family involvement a little bit more. So Maury believed that the son of sam did not act alone in his crime spree uh, and that he believed he was actually part of a satanic cult uh so maury thought that sam carr's sons john and michael carr were members of this cult and they helped david commit these murders the son of sam murders that's so fucked up uh john carr one of the sons was found murdered six months after maury's interview with david in north dakota Witnesses to the murder uh, claim that David Berkowitz not only knew John Carr, but that the pair were involved in a satanic cult together. Uh, From Lieutenant Terry Gardner, quote, These people said that John was the leader of the group, that John performed the rituals numerous times. We know of one case where John killed a German shepherd dog right back out here behind the building, and they were drinking its blood. Yeah. So when the lieutenant received this package from David, the cult theory kind of blew up at the time and seemingly confirmed the suspicions of Maury Terry, the journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, to add fuel to this fire, there was a rumor back in Stanford that Arliss had met members of a cult in California and had been visiting them to preach the word of God and try to convert them to Christianity. So many people believe that this is what caused her murder. She just pestered them too much and they okay. exacted revenge on her. Mm-hmm. Um So the rumor mill turned for a few years, but there were no real solid leads to connect the murder to the son of Sam. Uh, In 1980, yeah, that's all. Okay, that's it. Um, In 1981, another detective with the Santa Clara Police Department, named Detective Ken Kahn, received a letter from David Berkowitz. Uh, In this letter, he claimed to have information on Arliss Perry's murder. He claimed he attended a cult meeting where a member spoke to the group about the murder, announcing that he was the culprit. Uh, Were actually letters from him, though? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, So Detective Khan hopped on a plane to New York to interview David, but when he got there, he quickly realized it was a waste of time. So from Detective Khan, quote, We thought we were getting close to him naming somebody, but he abruptly says, If I am talking to you guys any longer, they are going to think I'm a snitch. Uh, Khan continues, quote, I was advised there had been an attempt on his life in Attica. Somebody cut his throat. There was a nasty scar on his neck. And then he said, quote, well, if I tell you the name, they'll kill my father. End quote. So basically, uh, he gets there. He tries to get information out of the son of Sam. Son of Sam says, I'm not talking because they attacked me and they've threatened to kill my dad. Okay. Uh, So still don't know if the cult's real or not at this point. So Detective Khan left New York with no information to bring back to Stanford. Uh, the inv- the investigators believe that uh, David Berkowitz was, quote, just jerking them around and actually did not have any information. Uh, but the fact that he was attacked after sending the letter is kind of suspicious to me. I think the cult may exist. Whether or not they're involved in Arliss's murder, I'm not sure. But, like, he seems scared. Like, like still I don't know. There. Yeah. Yeah, there was proof that he was attacked, you know, so I think something fishy is there. Um, So once again, the case is now cold. Uh, It had been looked into several times, but the leads were just non-existent until uh, modern day DNA technology. In 2018, investigators ran the DNA using more advanced technology and a match was found. Oh, shit. 
the seaman found at the scene belonged to none other than security guard Stephen Crawford, who had called 911 to report the body on the morning of October 13th. Do you know my first thought was either it's like the per- like Dean person or the security guard because he was yep. there checking doors. But there was nothing to point into it in 1974. They checked the DNA, but at that time they could only match like blood type essentially. Yeah. And at that, it was, like, sketchy. Like, you couldn't confirm anything, really. It wouldn't be able to um, be used in court sort of deal. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. in 2018, science. Um, so, the wild goose chase had finally come to an end 44 years after Arliss Perry's tragic death. Except justice was never served in this case. Did he um, fucking die? Police descended on Stephen's apartment with a warrant. When the door opened, Stephen, who was 72 at the time, was holding a handgun. He shot himself in the head before police could disarm him and was pronounced dead on the scene what a fucking Um, pussy ass bitch yeah took the coward's way out the question remained uh, for reference we don't mean that of all suicides just this particular one just this Um, asshole yeah (laughs) so the question remained as to whether or not steven was involved in any cult activity and we still don't really have any answers um so there's several suspicious unsolved deaths in the area in the 70s uh, and some had satanic aspects i actually read some of them and they were really gross they involved like disembowelment and stuff um but nothing really to tie steven directly to those murders Mm -hmm. uh santa clara county sheriff Lori smith says there's a possibility that steven was a serial killer uh reports claim that the police allegedly found serial killer literature in his home so like books about i guess killing so they thought that he was reading these books for like inspo i guess um sheriff smith and her team have like a board assembled like that meme with all the red <laughs> the strings red. <laughs> yeah i'm like i uh, just sent that to you too you did recently i forget what it was for but you definitely did uh so they literally had one of those at the time to try to like tie him to some of these satanic murders that took place in the area uh so far no official findings um interestingly enough stephen crawford kind of followed the quote-unquote 70s serial killer template mm-hmm. uh he had similar backgrounds to killers like Uh, btk and the recently named golden state killer uh so steven was a military veteran and had once been a an armed police officer his job had been reduced to unarmed security after he was caught like stealing books and damaging property at stanford university Uh, and his neighbors described him as kind of like grumpy and weird but overall non-suspicious and these are almost textbook to btk and golden state killer so he kind of has that serial killer background a little bit um so i'm gonna end this with a snippet of an article from oxygen.com that was written in 2018 they had interviewed arliss's mother uh who was 88 years old at the time her name was Jean. oh god i didn't look it up dikema and her sister karen barnes uh jean said she was quote shocked and relieved that her daughter's killer had finally been caught uh but she was sad that her husband marvin didn't leave to see the or sorry didn't live to see the case solved he died just three months before they caught him um and karen barnes said her mother was quote still struggling with the why and uh karen told the interviewer quote i said you know mom i don't think we're ever gonna know the why end quote well obviously not he shot himself yeah i'm sorry to be blunt about that yeah (laughs) we're never gonna know so we still don't know if there's some satanic cult running rampant in california slash new york slash the states as a whole i was gonna say slash the whole fucking world yeah yeah oh man this could be some epstein shit if we looked hard enough i feel like there's definitely a cult like there has to be he seemed like uh the son of sam he seemed afraid you know what i mean and like i don't know the whole sending the book thing and stuff like he i don't 
I'm going to fuck this up. I don't think he was known to really... I'm going to fuck this up. Maybe I won't say it. Was he known to, like, taunt the press? I don't think so. The only taunter I really know is BTK and um, Zodiac. Oh, no, he did. Yeah, no, that was his thing. He did. Yeah. So he would send them letters and called himself the Son of Sam. That's correct. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I had to Google that because I'm that tired today. There's there's too many of them, man. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't want to confuse any of them. Um, So, like, I guess it's kind of his style to be taunting then. Yeah. But, like, why would he randomly pick this case? Yeah, like, just out of the blue, just pluck it and just be like, yo. You guys took your job. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I thought that was really creepy. That's really... That was really Poor Arliss. Yeah. yeah. This was a dark episode. It was a dark episode. It's well, we're sad. sorry, guys. We, we hope everyone has a glass of wine. I, it's it may morning. be Monday at 9 a.m., but we hope you have a glass of wine. Yeah, just hide it in your coffee mug, you guys. It's fine. The amount of times... Uh, so I have a lot of, like, flavor syrups at work because of who I am as a person. And the amount of times I'll, like, take out one of my syrups and someone's like, oh, is that alcohol? I'm like, you know, I think I'd be a lot happier here if I drank alcohol every yeah. morning, you know? <laughs> like, like, yes, yes, it is. Uh, Would you like some? <laughs> <laughs> some pumpkin alcohol. Yeah. Uh, but with that, I guess just come be our friends and forgive us for being so dark. <laughs> yeah. Just come have a glass of wine with us on social media. Um, our, what's our, what social media do we have? <laughs> Our Instagram is a spooky hour podcast. We have Twitter at spooky hour and our email is the spooky hour podcast 666 at gmail.com because we are our own fucking cult, but we don't kill people. So we're, cooler. <laughs> we're a cool cult. We're yeah. a fun cult. We are. Uh, make sure you send us your spooky stories, by the way. We want to hear if you've seen a ghost, if you've seen an alien. Uh, I say this every time. We don't want to know if you've killed anybody. I Keep that do. to yourself. I kind of do. <laughs> I'll throw you right on that bus. Maybe address that email to Danielle specifically. I don't want that on my conscience. Um, And I guess just stay spooky. Yeah, stay spooky, friends. Bye. Bye.